Our scripture reading today will come from Mark chapter 9, verse number 38. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Please be seated. Please keep your Bibles turned to uh, Mark chapter 9. We'll be in that uh, chapter for this morning. The story is told about an efficiency expert who was called upon to, uh, to give a, a speech to a group of business executives on how to be more efficient. Now, at the end of his lecture, he mentioned, he said, Now, I do not recommend doing these techniques at home. A young man in the crowd raised his hand. Why not? The efficiency expert said, well, when, uh, when I got married, I noticed my wife, uh, when she was fixing breakfast for me, she would uh, go to the cabinet and the refrigerator and, uh, and the uh, stove and, and the dining room table uh, many times, uh, just carrying one item. So I mentioned to her, I said, I said honey, you would be much more efficient if you go to the cabinet and get everything out that you need. If you go to the refrigerator and get everything out that you need, and then you go to the stove and then you come to the dining room table carrying everything with you. The young man in the crowd asks, well, did it work? The efficiency expert said, oh, yes. It worked. Uh, my wife would take about 20 to 30 minutes preparing breakfast for me. And now I do it in about seven minutes. That wife did not take that criticism very well. You know, criticism. Criticism seldom, if ever, works. Even in our sincere efforts to help people. They don't always appreciate it, and it tends to tear people down more than it builds them up. Even so, it's a terrible tendency, especially uh, for those of us who had followed Christ for, for a while. We have learned so much over the years, and, and you know, uh, if we're not careful, we find ourselves becoming critical of those who are less experienced or who just don't do it the way that we have always done it. How can we truly help people? That's a good question. How can we bring out the best in people, especially those around us, our spouse, our family, our friends? How can we help those with less experience grow in their relationship with Christ and serve Him better? Well, let's see what Jesus told His first disciples, who themselves were becoming critical. Go back to that verse that Billy shared. John said, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in, in your name, and, and we tried to stop him. Because why he was not following us. Let's put this in good old Arkansas terms. He didn't go to the right school. He didn't do it the way we do it. 
So we stopped him. You know, I think this is funny. The funny thing is the same disciples had failed to cast a demon out of a boy just earlier. But <laughs> they're quick to point out someone else's faults. But they quickly forget their own. At least this man was successful, but they stopped him anyway. Because, well, he's not one of us. He's not our kind. What did Jesus say to him? Verse 39. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. In other words, Jesus, he's part of the same team. We're the same team. Don't criticize him. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. So don't stop the young and inexperience. Don't stop those who are trying to serve me, Jesus said, even if it's not up to your standards. Because those who would criticize, guess what? I'm going to reward. So how do we truly help people grow? In their relationship with Christ and in their ministry skills. Well, first of all, don't stop them. Don't stand in their way. Don't hinder them from serving. Don't keep them from ministering in Jesus' name, even if they, if all they do is give a cup of cold water. Because Jesus appreciates it, even if we would tend to criticize them. In my life, I've had a lot of wonderful encouragement from elders, from, self, from fellow preachers, from family and friends. But I'm here to tell you, I would not be standing here today preaching if it wasn't for a man named Gene Wood. Gene baptized me when I was almost 13. He officiated our wedding. A while back, I officiated his funeral. Now, after I became a Christian, as I said, I was almost 13. And Gene, he encouraged me to speak one Sunday night. I think it had been about two weeks since I had become a Christian, and he wanted me to preach that Sunday night. That congregation, the Liberty Church of Christ, has been there for roughly about 135, 140 years. I would have to say that sermon that I preached that night is probably the worst sermon that's ever been preached there, ever. I mean, I got up there, my knees were knocking, I was scared. I, I doubt if anyone passed about two or three pews back could even hear me. Now, of course my mom encouraged me after I got through, because she's a mom. A few other people encouraged me. But Gene went the country mile. He encouraged me. In fact, he said, I want you up there again. He found a couple of things I had done well. 
And he really emphasized those things that I had, those few things that I had done well. And he encouraged me to get up again. So about two or three weeks later, I got up again. And two or three weeks later, I got up again. That's how I'm here today. It's because of his encouragement. He was there for me, encouraging me. Notice this picture. This is a picture from the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. Now, you see a bunch of people there. In fact, if the, if the camera shot was even wider, you would see about 300 people there cheering on the soldiers as they returned back home. Actually, that started with just a handful of people that showed up at the airport with their banners and with their flags. But pretty soon, the people sitting at the gates waiting for their flights, they joined them. And, and pretty soon, uh, the people that worked in the airport who were off on break or whatever joined them, and other people joined them. And pretty soon, you had a crowd there. One of the local TV channels interviewed some of the soldiers, and they asked, what did you think about that reception? They said, wow, <laughs> that is outstanding. We, we didn't expect it. Such great encouragement coming back home. My friends, we're soldiers in God's army. We're, we're, we're engaged in a, in a very difficult spiritual battle. Some of us are tired and weary. Some of us are wounded and hurt. And some of us are just plain discouraged. But there's a day coming when we'll all get to go home to glory. In Acts chapter 7, something odd happens. They're stoning Stephen. And he sees a vision. A vision of Jesus. That is the only place in Scripture where you see Jesus standing. Everywhere else in heaven, He's seated. But there He's standing. Why? Let me give you my opinion. This is my opinion. I think it's a great encouragement to Stephen. I think Jesus standing is getting ready to welcome home, Stephen. I think him standing, you know, he's maybe saying, angels, get ready. One of our heroes is about to come home. Let's get ready to welcome him home. You know, we all need encouragement. Each one of us need encouragement from time to time. You know, you've done your best to serve the Lord. And nobody seems to appreciate it. Maybe your efforts have been criticized and you're ready to give up. Please don't give up. Because Jesus appreciates your efforts and He is your biggest fan. No matter what anyone else says, He will reward you even our smallest efforts to serve Him. But why wait until glory? to encourage someone. At the very first congregation I ever served, there was a, a dear lady named Polly DeVault. Polly said to me, when I die, I don't want anyone to send me any floral arrangements. You know, usually at a funeral, you'll see the casket, and all around the casket will be all those arrangements. She said, if you, if you love me, 
If you appreciate me, tell me now before I die. I can't remember a Sunday that I've been here where I preached, and if Marcel Green was in attendance, that she did not say something to me to encourage me. You see, we all need that. We all need that encouragement from time to time. Our words of encouragement can provide even the weariest servant the courage it takes to keep on going one more day. But on the other hand, our critical comments can stop them dead in their tracks. At one of the congregations I served a few years ago, a young man from the community showed up. He was friends with uh, some of the folks, some of the kids in the youth group. I eventually got him into a Bible study, and eventually I was blessed to be able to baptize him. Now, at that congregation on Wednesday nights, the young men would do the devotional talk, a little two, three, four, five-minute devotional talk. I got this new Christian to commit to do the talk one night. Now, usually after uh, the talk was over and, and get, before we would go to Bible class, uh, I would make sure that I would rush up to, to that uh, young man and, and I would uh, thank him and, and try to find something that was positive, uh, some word of encouragement that I could give to him. On that particular night, before I could get to that young man, another member stopped me. They had a question, a pretty big question they wanted answered. So I was trying to answer their question, but out of the corner of my eye, I was watching the young Christian. Because one of our members was talking to him. And I could tell it was not going well. This man, as described by his own wife, his wife said he's gruff and harsh with what he says. And he was taking that young Christian out behind the woodshed. He was letting him know it. Because here's what had happened. The young man, keep in mind, he's, he's not, you know, his family's not a Christian family. He's from the community, had no past experience with the church. This young man had referred to the Holy Spirit as an it. Now, I was going to eventually get to him and sit him down and, 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 and with a lot of love and grace, I was going to explain to him how the Holy Spirit is not an it. But that was one of this guy's hot topics. I mean, he was giving that young Christian a tongue lashing and the other Christians that were close by, they just backed away. They didn't know what to do. They just backed away and, and they were sacrificing that young Christian to the tongue lashing of that man. I saw fear flash across that man's, that young Christian's face. And that young Christian ran out of that auditorium never to ever return again. To my knowledge, he is still an unfaithful Christian. Why? Because of what was said to him and the way that it was said. Now, 
You have noticed back in February, I wrote three different bulletin articles about the power of example. The last two Sundays, this will be the third Sunday, I have somehow mentioned about my hope and dream about getting people from our community up that hill and into our building. Here's what you do not know. My New Year's resolution, and I have not missed a day yet, my New Year's resolution is to pray daily that we can have an impact in our community, can make a difference. According to the numbers I've been given, and I, I guess these numbers are probably correct, there is close to 100,000 people living in Garland County. According to the numbers I've been given, less than 2% are faithful, baptized Christians. Let that number sink in for just a moment. Our community desperately needs the Lord. Desperately needs the Lord. But when we get them up here in this building, how are we going to treat them? What are we going to do? Especially with people who have very little experience. Maybe all they know, maybe all they know is what it takes to become a Christian. And that's about it. For that young man who spoke on that Wednesday night, that's about all he knew. Please, don't stop people from serving with critical remarks. And don't scandalize them either. Verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones, circle that phrase, little ones, I'll come back to it in just a moment, who believe in me to sin, circle that word sin, I'll come back to that in just a moment, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. Who are these little ones? Now, this word in Greek is used uh, to refer to children in Mark 15, 40. It's used to refer to people who are of less importance in Matthew 11, verse 11, uh, Luke 9, 48. Because of context, I think it might refer back to the man that John and the other disciples had stopped from serving back in verse 38. That man was certainly someone that they viewed as not important. Maybe he was younger than them. I don't know. How about the word sin? The word sin here is translated as stumble in the American Standard Version, in the New King James Version. It's translated as a fin in the King James Version. In my opinion, the, word, the translation of sin is probably the weakest of those. What's Jesus really saying? If anyone scandalizes one of these younger believers, if anyone offends a younger believer so much that they are tripped up and they stumble, then it would be better for them to drown. It would be better for them to have a millstone hung around their neck and thrown out into the sea. Now, Jesus is trying to make a point here. 
The point is simply this. Don't do it. Don't scandalize them. Don't put them down. That's how much Jesus cares for these younger believers. That's how much Jesus wants them to serve. And that's how much He appreciates their service. One person said this, Before you criticize a man, walk a mile in his shoes. That way, when you do criticize him, you'll be a mile away. Well, that, of course, is a joke. But better yet, how about if we just eliminate the criticism altogether? If we generally want to equip people to follow Christ, then don't stop them with critical remarks and don't scandalize them as well. Remember, you want to bring out the best in people. Instead, Jesus calls us to take drastic measures to keep ourselves from tripping up, to keep ourselves from being scandalized. In other words, don't be pointing out the faults of others. Instead, take care of your own faults first. Verse 43. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Now, Jesus is using a hyperbola here. He's using an exaggeration to make his point. Verse 45, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Verse 47, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Why? It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. This is... Mighty important. Mighty important. The picture you are looking at is someone that really fascinates me. I come from a family of of a lot of amputations due to diabetes. This man, you notice, has an artificial limb there. Here's his story. Aaron Ralston, on April the 26th, a Saturday, 2003, went climbing in Blue John Canyon. That's in the Canyonland National Park in southeastern Utah. As he was climbing, he he stuck his his arm into a hole to have a, a, a hole to pull himself up. And when he did, the rocks moved pinning his arm in that hole. He did everything he could to break free. He tried to push that boulder. He tried to push those rocks, and he just could not do it. After three days, being without now water and food, he did the unthinkable. He took out his knife and amputated his arm. Doctors later on said that's the only thing that saved his life. You see, Aaron had a will to live. And he did whatever was necessary to stay alive. Now that's what Christ calls us to do in our relationship with Him. Do what is necessary. Don't worry about the faults of others. First, take care of your own faults 
by humbly admitting your need of Christ and getting help from Him. Remember how He explained it in the Sermon on the Mount? Remember that beam and that little speck? We want to bring out the best in people. People around us need encouragement. You see, our faults may not be the mistakes of inexperience. Oh, no. They can be much bigger problems like a critical spirit and the pride that goes with it. We must take care of those problems before we can even begin to hope to help someone else with theirs. Do you truly want to help people? Then don't stop them with words of criticism. Don't scandalize them. Instead, deal with your own faults first. And then what you do? You sprinkle some salt on those you're trying to help. Verse 49. For everyone will be salted with fire. We all have our own little problems. We all have our own little situations. Advice commonless, 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 and Landers received a letter. It was from a grocery store clerk who was writing in, and, and she said, I don't like this. I've seen people use food stamps to pay for luxury items here in the store. And she mentioned a birthday cake with one customer and a bag of shrimp with another customer. About a month or so goes by, and Ann Landers gets a couple more letters. The first one was from the lady who had bought the birthday cake. She wrote in, and she said, Yes, I'm the one who bought the birthday cake. It was for my daughter, for her birthday, it will probably be the last birthday we ever celebrate with her. She has cancer, terminal cancer. And I wanted to make this one birthday kind of special. The other letter was from a woman who had bought the shrimp. She said, I'm the one who bought the bag of shrimp. Uh, my husband had spent his whole life working for a company. And now in his older age, they had fired him, they had downsized, and they had eliminated the higher-paying employees, which one was my husband. And he's been so depressed, he can't find a job at his age. He knows he needs to work. We, we got money problems. He's even thought about suicide. His favorite meal was always shrimp. I thought I would buy that bag of shrimp and maybe try to encourage him. Here's my point. We never know what other people are dealing with. And the last thing that they need is someone putting them down. Instead, they need someone to lift them up. They need someone to come along beside them and to encourage them when they are down. Verse 50, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? 
Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. You know, salt makes food taste better, doesn't it? An encouragement, a kind word can make life much better. Paul said it like this, Colossians chapter 4, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We truly help people, not with harsh words of criticism, no. We help them with words of grace and peace, seasoned with salt. I have been blessed to help a lot of couples in my lifetime. And frequently I'll I'll hear a problem shared with me from the couple. They will have a different way of saying it. The wife will describe it as helpful words. The husband calls it nagging. Here's what I've done in every case. I will get the wife off by herself and I'll say, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to have those mosquitoes of marriage. Now she'll say, what do you mean mosquitoes of marriage? And I'll say, you know, a mosquito, you know, it's not going to probably kill you if it bites you. Probably not. But it sure is bothersome. And it sure, you get tired of it, don't you? And you don't want to get, you don't want those mosquitoes around you and you want to get them out of your way. I said, right now, your husband is viewing your words as a mosquito that he doesn't like, and he wants to get rid of it. So instead of doing that, here's what I want you to do. For 30 days, just make a 30-day commitment to me. Every time he does something positive, I want you to encourage him and to thank him. If he always puts his dirty clothes on the floor, if he takes and puts one item in the clothes hamper, you encourage him. You thank Him. And let's talk about this in 30 days. In almost every case, I've had the wife come back to me in 30 days and she said, I I don't know what's happened, but I'm married to a different man. You see, when we encourage, changes can come about. Changes can come about. Like our Savior, be quick to praise even the smallest efforts and you'll be amazed at how people change. But most of all, you'll be amazed at how God changes you. Do you need to become a Christian? Are you a Christian right now? Do you believe, repent? Are you willing to confess and be baptized? Notice those verses there on the wall. Most of us here are Christians. Do you need to seek His forgiveness? 1 John 1, 9. The church stands ready to pray with you and for you. James 5, 16. We're going to have elders down here waiting for you. If you have any need, would you please come as we stand and sing for your encouragement. I hear-